Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm very excited for this week's episode with Aaron Alexander. Aaron is a good friend of mine. He also happens to be one of the foremost authorities on movement and how we can move such that we can optimize our, our health, our lives, and keep this vessel, which is our body, in a good way uh, throughout our lives. And he pre- presents some very uh, uncommon and, and novel insights that you likely won't have heard anywhere else on very simple things that you can do to take your movement to the next level and turn life and living into an opportunity for moving in new and dynamic ways uh, that bring both joy as well as uh, vitality and health. So I think you'll get a huge amount of value from this episode. I know that I did. Um, and uh, before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to two of my partners. The first is one of my favorite companies, Lifecycle. Lifecycle is a product I take daily. I love their uh, Lion's Mane in particular for its cognitive benefits. Lion's Mane's been used for thousands of years and has huge neurogenerative uh, properties. And I, as someone who's deeply concerned about brain health, uh, think that Lion's Mane is one of the superhuman uh, tools that we can utilize um, based on some of the gifts that nature's given us. And Lifecycle uses an all-organic Lion's Mane grown here in the U.S. and uh, has a very reasonable priced tincture um, using all natural ingredients. You can also go deep into uh, the efficacy of each of the mushrooms in my Mind Key episode with uh, the founder, Julian Mitchell. Check them out. It's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. And if you put in Peak Mind 20 at checkout, you get 20% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox is my go-to source for healthy, humanely raised, antibiotic, and hormone-free meats. They have um, grass-fed and grass-finished beef. They have organic chicken. They have wild-caught Alaskan salmon and a variety of other uh, uh, sustainably sourced uh, products. You should check them out at ButcherBox, B-U-T-C-H-E-R-B-O-X.com. And if you put in Peak Mind at checkout, you'll get a healthy discount on your order. They also run frequent uh, promos, and every week is different. So depending on when you're listening, uh, you should go check out their website, butcherbox.com, and see what they're offering. I think especially as many people live in areas where... You know, there's a lot more factory farming and low-grade, low-quality um, meats. It's super important that it, uh, for those who are who eat meat that they get humanely raised, you know, really high-quality, um, you know, reputably sourced product. And ButcherBox, my go-to source for that. So ButcherBox.com, check them out. And without further ado, it is my great pleasure to introduce the one and only Aaron Alexander. All right, I'm here with my main man, Aaron Alexander. Aaron, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. Dude, uh, it's, been, it's been cool because I've been along with you during at least a decent portion of this journey to you writing uh, what I think will be a seminal book, uh, The Align Method, uh, which is about movement principles really for optimal living, as I, as I sort of read it and, and loved it. My question to you is, you know, you really talk about this idea of alignment, which re- which resonates with me, and evoke a conversation around movement, which I think is a conversation that's not being had frequently enough. Yeah. Um, 
I know that you have a, a long sort of background history in regards to working with the body, but what for you was the impetus? What, what, what led you to say, you know, I'm going to shift. I know you've had the, the podcast for a great, for, for several years now. You've been doing, you know, working with some of the best, you know, celebrities, doctors, etc. as a practitioner. What led you to say, you know what, I really want to write this book. And what was your intention in creating the book? Yeah. First of all, I so greatly appreciate you actually reading the galley version of the book, and that's very rare. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I like took it down to the beach. I actually would like. I was sitting down there. I, I it's, to be. I'm sorry to interrupt your no, no, uh, your, no, no, your attitude, no, no, but it's great. for me, actually, one of the key things which I asked you actually about right before we went live is one of the things I'm very mindful of is how I'm inhabiting my body, which yeah. I've been made more mindful of because of you. Right. So the book has worked for me, but, but anyway, awesome. continue on. Well, yeah. So, so that, I mean, that I just, I think for just for people listening in general, people would already recognize that about you, that you really do give a shit. Mm. Um, and that's, it's immensely meaningful for me as a writer that's like spent the last year, you know, in a kind of bipolar type way, like in and out of feeling elated about the book, to, oh my God, this isn't going to work, to, oh my, and then actually being able to present it and you actually read it yeah. is, is very meaningful, so I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Um, so the impetus, I think, a primary one um, would be once, so depression is the number one leading cause of disability in the world. Mm. That's wild. Yeah. You know, and so there's there's all sorts of conversations around that. Maybe it's the the thalites in the water bottles, or maybe it's the electromagnetic magnetic frequencies in their cell phones and the airports, or you know, maybe it's a nutritional thing. We should be more keto, or we should be more vegetarian, or like there's all these conversations around what's going on. Um, the deficit that I see is a mechanical conversation of what are the structural patterns of elation and pride and happiness and joy and anxiety and fear and depression. Because you know, each one of those, they're all an embodied experience that have a, that, that those physical expressions have an emotional translation. Mm -hmm. And when you start to look around the world, there's a really fascinating uh, photographer. He, he created these images that I think you may have seen where he removed the cell phones, like photoshopped out yeah. a word program, he used the, the cell phones out of you know people hanging out with their partner in bed, looking at their phone and hanging out at a bus stop and what have you. And what you see fairly ubiquitously throughout those images is you see a bunch of people that if you didn't know the cell phone was there, you would probably go up and be like, hey man, are you okay? Yeah. Like, what's wrong? Like, are you, how are you feeling? Totally. Can I help? You know, and like, what's happening there is those people are practicing this structural archetype that in the book we refer to it as the Mopi archetype. Mm. You know, so we create five archetypal patterns. Each one breaks, we connect a, a postural pattern with a personality type yeah and you'll see that as you walk around the world people that you know walk around their shoulders are raised up and their eyes are wide open and they talk really fast it's like they're kind of a little bit more anxious mm -hmm. the person that's collapsed and shoulders roll forward and their voice is a little slower and more morose and you know it's like okay well they're a little bit more you know maybe depressed in the literal sense of the word yeah. pulled down you know and there's other ones you know so why did the book seem like a relevant thing to invest oneself into for me was um, just once you see that in the world, the way that the environment is forming our physical structure, mm -hmm. and then you feel into the association of how that affects us at a hormonal level and a mm -hmm. thought level and maybe even a spiritual level if you wanted to like use language like that. Yeah. 
um, you can't unsee it. No. Yeah, yeah the, the matrix is there, baby. You're taking the pill. You can't unsee it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's always, uh, one of the things you actually referenced that, that was my first sort of, if you will, entry into this matrix was the, the Amy Cuddy, you know, sort of very, very popular TED talk around posture and how your posture affects your psychology. But to me, you kind of take that into, what I liked about your approach was not just sort of articulating that yes, posture affects how you both experience and are experienced in the world, yeah. but you actually give kind of a roadmap to how to work with your uh, your body, your movement, your posture, your such that you are actually giving sort of a, a, a way to, to architect optimal physiology and the commensurate psychology based on this multitude of stimuli that come in 21st century living, yeah. um, which I love. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of some, some of the core tenets that people can, can utilize for those who haven't yet read the book yeah. um, are, around how you approach the modern world um, given the way that we're often confined to chairs, which they call the sort of, you know, the new smoking and, and are oftentimes not moving our bodies. Yeah. So another thing, um, that to me is so meaningful to hear you have that description of what you got from the book that, cause that was literally verbatim, essentially exactly my goal. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, now that it's starting to come out, the book comes out on the, you know, in a couple weeks from here, it'll be out by the time this conversation goes out. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm starting to hear people's experience with it because it's not mine anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, you birthed point, it, and now it's yeah, like it's not. So, what was your relationship with it? It's exactly. not wrong or right. Just what was your relationship <laughs> exactly. with it? Exactly. So to hear like a coherence or congruence of, of your relationship with yeah. it yeah. to be that, I'm like, <sighs> yeah, <You know>? yeah, <laughs> like, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but I think a lot of people in general we feel. Um, kind of unsure how to occupy our bodies in a strong, confident way because we've never really received that, those guidelines in like phys ed class for starters, mm. you know, like physical education is like we're hucking kickballs at each other and like right. running around the bases and you know, there's like phys ed in my opinion could be a component to literally every class that you go into for your whole life. Yeah. Because you're never not doing phys ed. Yes. When you're communicating to somebody, you know, there's like a Albert Moravian study that I referenced in that um, UCLA professor is in like the his late sixties. I uh, came up with a thing called the fifty five thirty eight seven principle. Mm. So fifty five percent of our communication comes from our body language and then 38 is the tonality of our voice mm. and then seven is the actual words coming out of our face. You know, so as I'm communicating anything to you or you to me or, you know, TV, social media, whatever, what we're actually listening to is, you know, how do they communicate it? Yeah. You know, what's the physicality of that expression? You know, and, and, and on the other side, uh, on, on, on my podcast before this, we were talking about the difference between, you know, first there's ignorance, then there's knowledge, which can be construed with still lots of ignorance, and then eventually we can perhaps arrive at wisdom, which is much lighter, mm. you know, we've assimilated all those bags of information and research and studies and quotes and, you and it's like, oh. Yeah, you're not just like trying it on, it's now, it, it, it's a part, it becomes a part of you. Yeah, you know, and so when we are, you know, th that 
that person, the way that that person communicates information, it feels different than the way that somebody else communicates. Mm. You know, and they, they may even say the same thing. You know, but the person that's more in that place of like, oh, I've assimilated, I've digested, mm. I'm just here with you now. Yes. That is something that's coming through at a cellular level and a structural level and a, and a tonal level. You know, and that's, we don't talk about that when we're, you know, sitting in a desk in front of a screen under artificially blue lit lights yeah. with a backpack hung on one side as I'm slumping on the desk as a ex physical expression, as I'm always physically expressing, yes. that I don't care that much because I really just don't want to be here or maybe I don't want to um, let on that I care, even though deep down I, I care deeply. Uh, but I don't want to let on that I care because if I fail, if, as long as I put this physical expression outward that I actually don't give a shit, then I have this kind of fallout, like Protection. insurance plan. Yeah. Of like, no, I never really gave a shit. I care so much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then you can get trapped in your own physicality, like your own physical prison, because you put on that physical expression of I don't give a shit. And now all of a sudden, man, I feel kind of like kind of tired and kind of antisocial and I feel almost like I'm like hiding in my body you know it's like well it's a, it's a slippery slope when you start expressing something that you might not want to necessarily hang on to mm -hmm. I know this is traveling in all sorts of strange like wooded weeded direction no no I think you're giving the sort of the why if you will which to me is like how how one occurs to another like there's nothing in, in many ways no matter what we're trying to accomplish in, in life whether it be you know with a romantic partner, a business partner, in the off, you know, it's all about relating. But all, the thing that's very infrequently spoken about in how we communicate with each other is that core tenant of body language, of movement, of how, and and also how our everyday, you know, habits. I mean, I you know, as a as a daily meditator, you know, I know that the day my day will proceed differently when I sit in the morning, right? And it's like whether I resist it or not it doesn't matter it's like I just know I need to do it because I'm setting myself up for that if you will liminal space that space between that is so central to reacting not reacting but actually responding right yeah. and so what you talk about to me and which I think is so helpful for those who maybe haven't tuned in on that level is the various ways in which our physiology and our physiological expression are communicating I think both to other people, but also to ourselves that we often take for, for granted, right? Like, I mean, I, and you know, I've talked about this. I remember when I first met you and you're like sitting on the floor and I was like, dude, who is this guy? You know, like at first I was like, you know, you, you occurred to me as like, I didn't know if you were trying to be showy. I mean, obviously you're very physically fit, but I was like, you, you were kind of moving up an aisle at a talk and you were sitting on the floor. Now, of course, we're sitting on the floor and I, I know you and, and care about you and appreciate you. So, but, but. It is, in some ways, uh, kind of uh, can be off-putting. And I've seen you, even when you don't know, like I, we've been at conferences together, like at Worlds, and I've seen you like at NQ, like and everyone's sitting in a chair, and you'll just go straight up and sit on the floor, right? So like floor sitting, for those who haven't read the book yet, is one of the core tenets that, that you talk about is sort of this, this sort of five core tenets, and it gets much deeper than that. But, you know, I think that that physiological relating is such a revolution that needs to be happening. So maybe you can actually get tactical into with floor sitting and some of the other tactical elements. Like what are some of the things for those who will pick up the book but may have maybe haven't yet? 
what are some of the things that they can apply in their lives that are tactical to help them build that physiological awareness yeah. as well as communicate differently based on that awareness? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and if, and if that's not what we're talking about, then all of the metaphilosophical kind of pontificating on what it means to be a human animal, you know, all it's like, it really just doesn't matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, like, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. You, you puffed up your philosophical ego. That was cool. <laughs> but we learned nothing, and nothing has changed. <laughs> Well, I think, I think, I think, I think what, it's like peanut butter and jelly, baby, you know, like, I want both. Yeah, you need both. Um, you know, so, for example, um, something is, so, so everything that, that, that we, and when I say we, I had a co-writer with me as well, so mm -hmm. a guy called Phil White, um, who he's co-written with, like, Laird Hamilton, with XPT, and Pavel Satsulin, who's, like, the guy that brought kettlebells to North America, and mm -hmm. Kelly Starr, who did the forward, and like he's been in this world for like the last 20 years, so he was a real asset in helping with research and just bouncing ideas back and forth. It was, it was immensely helpful having someone, you know, with me in that. Um, at this point, most of the words in the book are actually me, um, but he was like, without him, I don't, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened. So when I say we, there's like this knowing inside like it was definitely and then I'll get back to the actual question all but it was an interesting thing to realize how little when you create a book or a company or anything in this case the book there's my face on the cover there's my branded logo thing you know a line which is the same on the podcast and all that stuff there's my name you know you know all the things but I was such a tiny minute fraction mm -hmm. of the expression of this thing yes it was just a fascinating thing to get to have that experience, like the publishers and editors and agent and proofreaders and the photographers and the, the, the artists that created these amazing expressions to kind of, you know, it was like there's, anyway, so that's just a side, I think that's an interesting thing. We want to oftentimes take credit for things because it helps us make, like, where you have a place in the tribe and in the world and, like, cool, I'm, um, but this was an interesting lesson to me of, like, goddamn, like, I played such a small fraction in this thing. I think that's actually quite beautiful, and I, I know you, just to just to acknowledge that because I've been, and I think many people listening have probably been on teams where that wasn't acknowledged, and I think um, anything that's been done that's worth doing is a team effort, and yeah. there's a weeness embedded in in anything that's really um, been of consequence to many people's lives. I would argue, yeah, and. Oftentimes, our society, especially again, to go to the default, just to, just as sort of this is a book to sort of move through this default world in a new way, one that embraces, I think, um, a greater totality of our own expression. I think part of that expression is recognize our, our interdependence to others. Freak, yeah, man. And I appreciate that acknowledgement because as someone who in the past was not acknowledged for things that I put my heart and soul into, yeah. Uh, if, even though this isn't about me at all. It's, it's helpful, and I think for many listening, to hear someone who say, like, yeah, it's your book, quote-unquote, you're on the, it's your, all the things, but, you know, anything that is, that is out in the world that you put your heart and soul into, there's likely a team that was behind it, so. Yeah, yeah. even if it's just the, the zeitgeist of people suggesting on social media and whatnot, like, keep going, yeah. <laughs> keep going, yeah. like you're making a dip, like yes. yes, like if it weren't for those people, the book would not exist, totally, there's no way, yeah, you know, so, so anyway, that's just a side point, so as far as like tangible, grounded, mechanical things that we can do to kind of tap into all this stuff, um, 
if you look at cultures that spend time on the ground, mm. um, i.e. all of humanity since the beginning of forever, you know, like well beyond we were Homo sapiens. Yeah. Um, you know, that's been, that's been the case. I think Homo sapiens was like 350,000 years ago or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, way, way beyond that. You know, the first chair coming about in like Egyptian times and then it's like this indication of royalty and I sit up above you, yeah. you know, or whoever, and then everyone, all the peasants are on the ground healing their bodies. Mm. You know, being human animals, you yeah. know, so no, I'm not a human animal anymore. Mm-mm, no, no. <laughs> you know, I'm exalted. Now, exactly. And then I kind of forsake those natural tuning mechanisms, such as being in nature, mm-hmm. such as exposing myself to bacteria, mm-hmm. you know, having a dog come in and just roll around poo in the fields. And like, that's a healing experience that you just had, exposing yourself to all that yeah. dirt. Yeah. You know, so exposing your full range of motion of your hips and your ankles and your knees to actually go all the way up and down from the ground. Cultures that do that, uh, more studied examples would be like Northern Africa and Southeast Asia and Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, Those cultures have minimal to no instance of osteoarthritis of Mm. the hips, uh, very low in the knees, pelvic floor dysfunction is lower. Um, Fall risk, I fall and I can't get up, that's like a Mm non-issue. You know, there's no point that I've talked about this in a lot of podcasts. I don't want to like go too deeply into it, but there's no point in one's life that all of a sudden you just go from, you know, youthful embodied experience to old and shitty. Right. No. No. Yeah. There's, exactly. not, there's not a, oh, 62. Pow. Yeah. There you, you go. got hit. Uh, Geezer now. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, it's based off of slow incremental decisions that eventually it's slippery because it's a millimeter a day, yes. millimeter a day, yes. millimeter a day. And all of a sudden, before you know it, that gap between your hips being at 90 degrees and your knees at 90 degrees and your ankles at 90 degrees, kind of being in that like, you know, Shackleton's frozen voyage it's just like like yeah like oh wow the ship stopped you know it's like that when you're in that regularly eventually that chasm or that jump between getting all the way down to the ground like an autonomous confident strong creative being yeah um and back up to oh my god like all the way down I would have to have a phone nearby or something like that like I can't just be in my house by myself because what if I fall right you know, and so think like, like real talk, thinking about your parents, you know, your, your grandparents, you know, anybody that you care about, like imagining them being in that situation of actually living in fear all the time that they need to have somebody around or have some communication device because they've lost their physical autonomy. And that is an absolutely 100% preventable issue. Yes. As long as we start paying attention to it while we actually have access to that. But if you ignore it and just keep on stashing under the rug, stashing under the rug, stashing under the rug, those millimeters eventually become miles, and then you're, you know, it's it's really hard to get back from that. Oh, it's an acute issue that I'm deeply familiar with, actually, in the context of my own parents, per, per what you just um, articulated. Like, my dad, like what you just shared, actually, both in terms of arthritis, and unfortunately, in, in the context of, of his cognitive health with dementia, both of those are the diseases of the developing, of the developed world, excuse me. Yeah. And I realized when I was doing Global Citizen, it was like I was focusing on disease of the developing world, like polio and malaria. 
Well, there's a whole pandemic that's about to occur that's that's a result of our modern day lifestyle, right? right. Uh, diabetes, dementia, etc. But also this arthritic condition. And if you actually go to the places like you mentioned, Southeast Asia, the area where there's the lowest incidence, for example, of dementia is Sub-Saharan Africa, because <laughs> uh, there is a great uh, deal more connection to the microbiome, to the soil, to animals, community. to community, purpose. exactly purpose. Yeah. So, Sun, yeah, yeah, there's a whole new epidemic. All the free All the free goodness, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> break, break, break that down a little bit. I mean, like, I know in, you know, in Venice it's maybe a little bit more commonplace, but, you know, you talk about, for example, things like, which I love, and, I, you know, forgive me, because actually if you do want to go deeper, we've only so, so far talked about floor sitting, and there's other tenets and principles, yeah. but what I liked about how you broke it down in terms of your communication was thinking about also the ways in which we confront the, the world in this modern day living for those of us living in the developed world, right? Like yeah. the office, you know, which most of us spend, you know, the majority of our day in, like it or not, sleep, the morning routine, the evening routine, the airport, you know, yeah. like uh, a lot of which are, are sort of set up to be antithetical to optimal health and wellness. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, I don't want to get too far afield, but as you as you break down some of those techniques, even thinking about like, okay, like, you know, it's sort of in the like the diet analogy. Yes, what you eat is is super important, but it was wasn't until recently that people started talking about how when you eat is so important sure. as well as what you eat. And yeah. I think what you're doing is in the movement context talking about that. Like you're almost bringing like the diet of movement into play and thinking about both the, the what in terms of your context and your environment, but also the when and how to set yourself up. Because if it is something where that you're not shoving it under the rug, then it's something you have to approach on a daily basis. Yeah, so so just a little ever so slight bit more context in the floor sitting. I'm not suggesting that people, you know, start bloodying their knees on like marble floor mm -hmm. for the sake of, you know, fear of osteoarthritis. Um, I'm saying make your floor a sacred space, you know, sweep it up, clean it up, vacuum it, you know, whatever you may be, get really comfortable rugs, like invest in a comfy rug, get Moroccan poofs and floor cushions and maybe throw a foam roller down there, maybe get a couple lacrosse balls or, you know, some like squishy feathery things and like make it like make it a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then what you'll find with that is Kids will want to hang out there. Adults will want to hang out there. You, your sex life might improve, mm -hmm. you know, because all of a sudden you're like, wow, like we come into my living room and like we're like in the pillow room. Yeah. You know, we're coming in and we're like, wow, we're like, we're like, we're snuggling. Yeah. Man, I've needed a snuggle for two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm like, you, like just having you, like we don't need to have sex, right? Just like you, we, you and I, instead of me sitting across from, you know, a hardwood table and a couple chairs you know, drinking like an icy beverage. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, like, let's just come and, you know, I'm going to, we're going to hang out and I'm going to lay on my back and put my feet up and, you know, I'm going to heal my body because just, just by the mere fact of me being in that environment, I, it heals my body. Mm. So just those people in Africa that you described, they don't know anything about any of the advanced supplements and nootropics and omega-3s and krill oil, like, they know nothing at all. But they're leaps and bounds healthier than us because they're in an aquarium that inherently heals them. Mm. You know, so how can we take some of those basic fundamental principles out of their aquarium and bring it back into our aquarium? You know, because it's not 
we're not going to. I don't think anybody needs to like burn their couch or anybody needs to you know sell all their stuff and move into the woods in order to figure out health and modernity. Um, I think we can take those basic principles that you get, such as making the floor space in your house just have like an area that's inhabitable and like fun, um, and all of a sudden, just its existence will start to make you a better person. And then take that same concept and bring that into your office space and into the way that you travel and into you, you know the rest of your home. There's like a Winston Churchill quote, paraphrasing, and say exactly like this. But like first we, first we build our houses, and then eventually they form us. Or first we form our houses, and they form us. However he, he worded it, but you know you have your design, your plans. How I'm going to construct the house, and then five years later you become the house. Mm-hmm. You know, like like uh, Marshall McLuhan is a guy. He wrote uh, um, the medium is the massage. The medium is the message. Was his like like one of his like iconic statements. Mm. You know, it's the medium that we are inhabiting. You know, we think you go to school and you're like, oh, we learned chemistry and learned about Shakespeare and learned algebra. It's like, no, you the the medium of what we had described before of you being in there and learning how to sit still and sit quiet and respect the teacher and gathering information out of this book or the cell phones or what have you and you know under the lights and the chairs and all that like when you get done with that experience that's what shaped you yeah all the details were just minutiae yeah it was just noise when you come out of that the the medium that you inhabited is the thing that really forms your you know your emotional self physical self all, all of that totally so it would be wise without getting I mean we can get into specific details of the book but just to at least step back and have an honest audit of your environment and, and look at your office and look at your you know car and look at your home and look around and say like, okay, like someone that was in this space for 50 years, like how would it affect them? Mm. You know, and so if you look around, you're like, this would be cool. Mm-hmm. Like this would, I'd want to put my child in here. I want them to grow in this space. Yeah. Then you're probably doing great. Yeah. But if you're like, okay, well, what do we have in here? We have a, you know, a big TV on the wall, and then we have a, you know, a, a, a table that's, you know, raised up that we put a couple, band, you know, a couple like trophies, metaphoric trophies of some sort on. Yeah. Then I have a couch that I, you know, kind of like, get sucked into, and then, all right, and then I have the dinner table with the chairs, which is the exact same shape of my car seat, my bus seat, my plane seat, my stroller, and my car, you know, my, my car seat as a baby that you, you know put the baby back into the fetal position essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, so if I look at that, I'm like, okay, well, how would that form the person? We're like, oh, you'd probably, it would probably start to collapse the structure of that person. Mm-hmm. You know, so how can we, I know I'm like rambling off, off right now, but, but I'll, I'll wrap it up. Like, how can we just take an honest look at our environment and just, and just ask the question to ourselves, like, how would this shape, um, you know, my, my child, if I, if I put them in this space for 10 years, what would that look like? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think it's 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 a fascinating um, conversation because if you think about, for example, in the context of offices, even right, like something very basic, like the shift from a traditional office to an open floor plan office, right? Yeah. That has profound uh, that has profound effects on how people interact with each other, right? Some argue better, some argue worse, but it's an actual you're orienting the architecture towards what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and I think thinking about like how things are set up is not necessarily being implicitly the right way. Um, 
it's it's fascinating. It's not often talked about, right? Mm. So like I think about, I mean, you and I talked about this before uh, going live. But like I actually really find my home comfortable, but for a variety of reasons, it may be time for me to shift. And if I do, what do I look for in my environment? So for those who are actually thinking about their office or their home or an optimal, a, a, a situation for optimal living. You know, one of the things, for example, you mentioned the book was, which I don't have yet, but I intend to get, is like a pull-up bar and mm-hmm. this idea of hanging. And I hadn't thought about that, mm-hmm. but I'm fascinated by it, right? Like, so as people who are listening, think about ways that they can audit their environment, especially the environments they inhabit with the greatest amount of their time. What are the things you recommend they look for? And what are the things you recommend they incorporate into yeah. optimal living? Yeah. Uh, well, one, just looking at, and this was actually taken out in like the editing process, but looking at the organization of the house, I think is valuable. Uh, like the feng shui of the place. Like when you walk into someone's home or your own home or anything, there's a feeling that you get, Yeah. you know, and like we all know that feeling and maybe some of us feel like, you know, a less deserving role or something like that. We're like, oh, I don't deserve like a, you know, an open space or a place that really makes me feel this way. Cause I kind of believe that I'm this kind of guy. Mm. I think that's why people buy McDonald's. Mm. You know, why people, you know, do it most anything. It's you're fitting yourself into that personality structure that you formed and anything that goes outside of that, whether it be better, worse, or, you know, anything outside of that, that one mold mm. makes you feel a little squirmish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is interesting, the whole worthiness question as well, where you're like, oh, okay, um, oh, yeah, that looks amazing, but, ooh, I don't know if I'm ready not that for that, kind of guy, or yeah. I'm not that kind, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, so I think that that's, that's an important thing, is to, is to, again, just audit, you know, like, I'm, something that I've learned, um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, all these are very tangential responses to your stuff, but something, I'm, I'm so much more suspicious of myself than I've ever been. Mm. Um, you know, I think that when I feel like, oh yeah, I know exactly who I am, you know, and I'm like, yeah, like I see things as they are. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Call that (laughs) out, baby. Like I do not. Yeah. You know, if if history is correct. You see things as you are. Yeah. As we all do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Through our filter. Yeah. You know, and so I, uh, and that's through the process, the, the editing process of the book, there was, there was several moments where I would read a paragraph and think like, oh no, that absolutely needs to change. Like this is unex I can't believe what was I thinking when I was writing that. Meanwhile while I was writing it, I thought it was, you know, brilliant. I was yeah. like, wow, channeling this, this is great. It's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then I edit it, you know, give back the publishers to say, cool, sweet, we we changed we we change it, we got it. And then I look at it again and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Mm. It was so much better. Mm. So literally just like a night's sleep will completely change my whole perspective on things, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's something that's, I mean, that's a completely tangential thing, but I just think it's interesting how little we may know about ourselves and how deeply we may be in our own tunnel. Well, and I'm going to sort of use this to get back on track to a degree, like you say, in our own sleep, right? One of the things you talked about in the book was like, which I thought fa- was fascinating. And I knew uh, sort of sleep was a time when you, you sort of took out the trash as it relates to your cognition. Yeah. But you talked about going back to your bodybuilding days and the sort of steroidal, like the sort of secret in the gym wasn't what was, was, and forgive me, I'm paraphrasing, yeah, but, yeah. but it basically it's like, 
you know, the, the, the actual steroids, AKA that are happening when you're actually sleeping in terms of yeah. like, um, and setting, so setting up like that context of optimal sleep. And one of the things, like I just saw this fascinating study in the military where they're basically like talking about, uh, like if you, if you're trying to create optimal performance, uh, one of the biggest corollaries is sleep actually in some ways more debilitating than being, I can't remember the exact number of beers, so I don't want to quick quote it, but it yeah. was like basically worse than like significant intoxication yeah. if you don't have a certain X amount of sleep. So, um, you know, as you think about, you, you talk about sort of that design of the environment, sleep being a critical element, but also, you know, just how you inhabit your body and move through your space. What are, just give us a couple, obviously you don't have to go through the whole articulation yeah. of ways in which that are, that are specifically tactical people can design their environment. Yeah, well, so one in relation to sleep is, so I think it was, not that this is necessary, it's just fun and, you know, numbers are, are interesting sometimes if you're ever on Jeopardy but I think it was 1876 yeah. that the light bulb came about yeah. um, and the reason I say that other than to, to flex my knowledge and, and go outside of wisdom for a moment as we was that on this podcast we talked about that the knowledge wisdom thing <laughs> oh, that's not the one, one. that was the one I wanted yeah, 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 exactly. but anyway so that was the baggage of knowledge eventually you can lighten load and go into wisdom but 1876 was not a long time ago no Always before that, you know, except, and then there's like, you look at, you know, Bolivia, the, the, the stones that have been carved out with like some laser precision that we don't have technology to today. Oh, totally. and the pyramids. So perhaps this shit has happened many, many, many times. I don't, you know, I don't know, but at least it's been a real long time that we've been in relationship to the sun and the moon and light and darkness. You know, so most ancient civilizations constructed entirely around right. uh, that circadian rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And seasonal rhythm. Yeah. You know, and so like not, I mean, whatever the math is, 1876, you know, with 2019, um, not a long time. No. And so our biology, it doesn't catch up that quick. Yeah. You know, maybe 243 years. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe give it, you know, a, 20,000 years or something like that and the DNA is like okay we're we're starting to figure this you know all the time blue lit world out yes you know we're catching up yes you know but right now we're we're absolutely in this purgatory phase where our bodies are like dude like the sun is still out yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like, r- r- Okay. Yeah. You know? because, because of we're looking at our phones because and we're, we're like, tricked because by we're the blue getting light. Blasted. It's yeah. not even that it's just blue light, but it's even worse than that. It's it's alternating current blue light. You know, so is it so the sun you're getting this this direct current yeah. where it almost feels more like this warm full spectrum photon massage. Mm. <sighs> yeah. It's like a hug. Yes. You know, when you go into a Walmart, you know, at a 11 p.m. or something like that. I haven't done that for a very long time, but it's happened, you know, and you go in there, you're just like, boo! It's like... Stimuli. Yeah, and as a person that's not accustomed to that blue light and the alternating current, it feels like violent and uncomfortable. I remember, I used to think those people that would say they have weird experiences that light, I thought they were just crazy new age hippies. Yeah. Because I was so entrenched in just, I'm just in blue light, it doesn't affect me. Yes. You know, because my, my body was adapting to that, but I think it was just that I was so deeply entrenched in, um, you know, dishealth that I didn't notice anything different. 
you know, and says that would be the, the, a primary thing is audit, pay attention to the types of lighting that you have in your home. Yeah. Um, embrace once the sun goes down, like embrace that. Yes. It's cool. Yeah. Your body, and that's why pirates actually have, from what I've heard, fact check this, but pirates had the uh, the eye patch so that they could dilate one pupil, and then then when they wanted to go under deck to to steal booty or whatever they uh, could switch eye patch and they'd have one pupil that's opened up and it's able to gather more light. You know, so that's actually, you're exercising your whole visual system, mm. which is connected to your autonomic function, the, you know, the, the state of the systems that you think you don't have control over, but mm. you actually kind of do, because you, know, you can augment your environment, which directly affects it. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can just take a look around your home, and once it gets dark, once again, coming back to the having a cuddle with a person, uh, when the lights are low, we want to have a cuddle. You know, yeah. we want to touch. Mood lighting. Want, yeah. Mood lighting. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. The, sim- the Him- uh, Himalayan salt lamps, that beautiful salt red lamps, light. burn candles. Fireplace. And even if you're by yourself, like be romantic with yourself. Yeah. You know, live in a more tantric fashion. Yes. You know, tantric isn't just P and the V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, tantric is, oh, I'm noticing the aromas of the air. Yes. Oh, I'm noticing the, 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 fabric on my skin yeah oh i'm noticing the texture of my you know my my carpet my rug under my feet or under my hips because i'm spending more time on the ground now you know, so starting to just pay attention to those uh it will create immediate shift in various aspects of your life and will create long-term shift that um, no supplement you ever purchase will be able to touch yes i'm about that <laughs> <laughs> And it's, all, life. and it's all freeish. Yeah, yeah, for free. That's the. Uh, I mean, that's you gotta buy your rug. You got, you know, nothing's free. There's nothing wrong with money. Money's fine. There's no, you know, if you have a resistance to money, it's probably just you need to work on your relationship with it. Mm. You know, it's not like like you know the best things in life are free. Yes, but that human touch and contact and all that stuff, you'll probably get a lot more of it if you have a comfy home to bring a person back to, which involves you doing the work to, you know create value in the tribe so people give you whatever our our present symbol of currency is yeah presently it's you know dollar in the united states or whatever but like if that changes it could be these little wood puck it doesn't matter right if you support the tribe in a meaningful way they want to give you more wood pucks yes and then you can buy comfy things to you know cuddle with well let's talk about (laughs) let's talk about that so i love this i I love the i'm in i'm into the cuddle but also in the context of tribe, which you just evoke. Yeah. So what are the ways in your experience that movements, I mean, we see it now, I guess, in the way that tribes are constructed. I mean, you just you kind of just hit me, but like, you know, when we think about like sports, like a lot of the prevailing sort of paradigms that people relate to as it relates to physicality. And I had never thought about it like this, but I think about like, I grew up watching football mm-hmm. and nothing against football, but I'm like, man, that's a pretty violent articulation of physical expression, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, it's definitely one of the sort of, uh, prevailing cultural, uh, articulations, at least in the United States. Um, but how do you see tribe being forged through movement, right? Like, so I, it's interesting because we're bringing it in the context of the home. I suppose in the workplace that gets a little bit more into tribe. But have you thought about, like, there's obviously deep ramifications as it relates to the individual and individual expression. Yeah. 
But what about the collective expression and movement? Because I know that dance, for example, and ritual, which we spoke about, um, I spoke a bit about on, on your podcast, but have been used as a way to sort of bring back that balance collectively. Yeah. Um, have, did you, in your research, uh, you know, what are your thoughts around the ways in which we can move more collectively as well, in addition to sort of that cuddling and that physical touch, yeah. to, to reinstate that bonds of our shared humanity? Because I think a lot of what we're confronted with, right, is the fact that we're, we're becoming uh, unbonded. And I think uh, movement is one of the ways in which we can reestablish that bond. I mean, you and I, I've seen you at Ecstatic Dance, for example, and, you know, there's a variety of different mechanisms, I think, that people can, can bring into their life, but how do you see tri uh, tribe and, and the collective being forged through movement? Yeah, well, so one thing, I think that it's it's easy, not that you are or aren't, but, but it's easy to, like, poo-poo on violence, um, but violence has existed for a long time. Sure. You know, and even, even like, the, the, the Mayan... I don't know what the name of the sport was called. You might actually know what it's called, but where they have the, the little, essentially it's like, you know, Mayan basketball, where they have the, the hoops on the side and it's a stone thing. You got to pass the stone ball through there and you can't use your hands. Hmm. And I'm not familiar There's with that. different stories of, I've heard that the, that the winner was then sacrificed to the gods. I've also heard the loser sacrificed to the gods, but it's like, there's a lot of, and it's like this brutal match, and then either the win or the loser, I've heard it's debatable, I'm not sure, somebody listening might actually know, mm. uh, I apologize if I'm misrepresenting it, but one of the, the sides was, was then sacrificed, mm. you know, and so it's like, that's like, oh, okay, interesting, that was, you know, that sounds pretty, pretty violent. Mm. You know, and I, I think that I think that there's you know, and to to the you know being hung by your back by hooks or to dancing around a tree for days or, you know, all of these different things. It's like our our bodies are, and I know I'm kind of misrepresenting all of that a little bit, but it's just for like the metaphor of it. We've mm. been using our bodies as vehicles. All these things could be referred to as ordeal poisonings. Mm. You know, so if you don't have psilocybin or some vine in the Amazon or whatever, you can, it's like, all right, cool, well, we won't just put it in our mouth and kind of hang out by the fire and, you know, have the experience. We might have to do a little work to stir the pot. Mm. Well, your physical body is a, is a pot that you can stir in whatever fashion you want. Mm. And then, so I think that pushing yourself deeply through sport or, you know, surfing or MMA or, you know, putting yourself at the edge of like, wow, like MMA is interesting or jujitsu or any of that people where it's like, this person could kill me. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm putting, which all of a sudden it puts like the, a little bit more emphasis on the, the temporality of life. Yeah. Whereas it's, it's, it's a dramatic state shift because you're like, because it's like, because it the consequences are potentially consequences, like that. Yeah. Whereas most of us live in these padded worlds that Western mm. culture has done a really good job at insulating ourselves from ourselves. Mm. Uh, and eventually the, the longer time, again, those millimeters eventually become miles, you know, so the longer that you go from being in that situation where you really feel like I need to pay deep attention right now mm. because the consequences are, are, are not good. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. It actually evokes for me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, the, the Last Samurai, which was flawed in, in certain regards, but what I love, well, the aspect I loved about it was this sort of depiction, accurate or not, I can't say, of feudal Japan and, like, this, this, this samurai culture 
And I just remember that that articulation that whatever it was, whatever it was, it was practiced with absolute orientation towards perfection, right? Yeah. So whether that's folding clothes, whether that's kempo and, and sword play, that orientation towards like movement as almost like an offering to the gods, if yeah, you will, that's it. Um, I think is it's so um, beautiful because we're so oftentimes not conscious of the way that we move and definitively like for example from in myself in the context of social i used to perform something called capoeira which you're familiar with but those who aren't listening it's an african brazilian martial art that was born uh from the slaves in brazil and there were actually 10 times the number of slaves in brazil as the united states uh which is infrequently talked about but they were also free communities in brazil where slaves had liberated themselves using capoeira. And it's, uh, it's fascinating because it's a mass language based in African dance, but the song and the dance were ways of training for liberation that, that were also masked as a dance so that the quote-unquote slave masters wouldn't understand what was being done. Mm. Um, and what was fascinating for me was the, that period of my life, which was in my early 20s, where I was part of this community. It was here in Chicago, uh, in, in the U.S., such a diverse, such an eclectic, like, I mean, we're talking every race, every nationality. I mean, there were like four or five cla- uh, languages spoken in a, in a traditional class. Yeah. For me, it was such a bonding experience. And it was such, coming from Sri Lanka, where I lived with a traditional healer, I was in a worldview where there was no word for privacy or possession. And coming back to the U.S., which is still individual-centered, like, I, I was sort of lost in terms of my center. And that movement tradition help me find my center again. Mm. And and I I found it in that collective expression. And even where, you know, we talked about this a bit in our our previous conversation, where there were traumas, it was so beautiful to have an articulation where especially as a a man who grew up always like you, like on the bigger side, and definitely a conscientious man, but there's very few uh, avenues in which I could actually express in a healthy way aggression. Yeah. Well, or, or assertiveness. I was always told, you're too big. You don't know your own size, you know? And as a conscientious man, I always, of course, was like sort of repressed that. But in Capoeira, there was, it was a safe container in which to express aggression and actually as part of the dance. And, and, and you know, and not always, you know, there were, you know, it's very much about the listening. Yeah. But that collective negotiation of time and space, which I think has been around since time immemorial, so beautiful to have had that experience in this lifetime of like, Man, how do we get to know each other and navigate? And so much was navigated through movement. You know, yeah. it was so beautiful. Movement and song, which has been around, like you said, since time of memorial. It's only in the last couple hundred years that I think we've we've moved further and further from that. Just as you talk about the throne, but also just like moved out of our bodies. You yeah. know, moved out of the expression of our bodies in this way where it's like. And there'd be 89-year-old guys. There's a, there's Hejonal and there's uh, there's a Angola, which is a slower form of capoeira. But you'd see these, like, 80-year-old guys getting in there and their trickster orientation, you know, taking two steps forward and then one back and, like, throwing a kick. And you wouldn't hit the person, but you'd just show them where they were open. Yeah. And what it did was exactly what you said, right? It brought about that awareness where you're you're in the aliveness and there's real consequences yeah. and that dance was such a, a impetus for living for me and yeah. I, you just re-evoked it through what you were sharing and I just uh, right. yeah I just wanted to share no, that because awesome. it was like yes. and I think that modern humans um, since you're I think masculinity is very it's a very confusing time to be masculine 
Um, mm -hmm. It's probably just a very confusing time to be a person in general, but I can, you know, speak in a more embodied place from, you know, as a masculine perspective. Yeah. Um, because of things like hashtag toxic masculinity and hashtag me too and mm -hmm. all these things like, oh, was that, was that too much? Like, mm -hmm. you know, okay, I don't want to be like screaming on top of a mountain with my shirt off and, you know, like, mm -hmm. is that like too much? Like, that's what a wolf does. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like yeah. it's what a gorilla does. You know, like you like that's a thing that happens in nature. You know, you being full, ah, like that's like, yeah, that's you, man. Yeah. You know, and and woman, you know, because we all totally. occupy different sides of the masculine feminine spectrum. You know, it doesn't matter your genitals per se, um, but what will happen in a culture where men are afraid to express full masculinity, whatever that may be, um, well then the feminine will have to pick up the slack somehow mm. and now, okay, cool, well, we're going to balance that out because you're scared to be that. Yeah. You know, whoever created that imbalance, it doesn't really matter. It just happens to kind of be the nature of things presently. Yeah. You know, and so it'll, it'll kind of, kind of dance back and forth until hopefully it finds equilibrium but when people are, you know, in the state that the world presently is, where we're maybe ashamed or scared or that we're going to offend or be arrested or litigated or whatever it may be, if I'm, you know, if I express this thing, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird time. You know, it's like, I think that safe containers for a man or a woman to go into and express out all of their weird animal stuff, yeah. uh, I think is immensely help, helpful and, and healthy. I agree. Couldn't agree more. I feel like, to your point, and, and I, you know, we talked about this a bit on your show, but that notion of like those traditional rites of passage or those safe containers, whatever they may be, for the, for the individuation of the mature masculine and, and the mature feminine, for those places where women could go off and girls could become women as shepherded by, you know, the women in the tribe and boys could become men as shepherded by the mature men in the tribe and, and express indeed, like go through the trials and tribulations, the rites of passage that actually individuated that, that, that person. I mean, we, we're, we're devoid of that, which I think is why we see the unhealthy expression of the immature aspect. And especially when you have people that have never had those those individuations that are traumatized, we're seeing that in all, that's, that's what leads to that sort of toxicity, if you will. Yep. And so I think getting back into the body, I feel like is one of the key aspects of moving through some of those. I mean, you know, and I, I'm not an authority by any means, but like, I know that like if an animal is attacked, you know, one of the ways that it, it, it you know, moves through that trauma is it quickly shakes it off, right? Yep. Like a gazelle, like if it's attacked by a lion, doesn't hold on to that memory and like speak to a therapist 10 years from there. And I'm not by any means, uh, you know, sp you know, uh, anyone who's been traumatized by in making light of that in any way, shape or form, just sharing simply that that gazelle shakes it off in yeah, that moment so that it doesn't get carried, uh, from then on. And I know for me and working through some of my own traumas, I've done like the tapping and I've done various EFT, various emotional freedom techniques, various things that are somatic or even with the mankind project deep men's work where it's like 
you actually in a controlled space can move through confronting some of those like deep challenges and have that like if you do have that anger or expression of someone taking advantage of you you know you can articulate that anger in a safe space you know and i think that that's super super healthy and when it's repressed that's when it goes toxic Mm -hmm. yeah that's like um i'm listening to the untethered soul like the hmm. singer book is really good ah i love his surrender experiment yeah yeah, yeah. really super super good in, in that he uh mentions uh the term samskara which is something that i learned in vipassana meditation mm. and they say essentially anytime you have like you know a discomfort you got a hip thing or anything if you're anxious or you think the teacher's full of shit and asshole you got to get out of here you know this person's stinky you know whatever like these things pop up and you're like i gotta get out of here um typically their response to that would be like you know okay well just you know keep sitting yeah you know <laughs> like what yeah <laughs> like okay there's like their their responses are always just so nebulous they yeah. have all this elaborate question they're like yeah yeah just yeah keep sitting yeah you know like fuck okay you know, but the, the samskara in Sanskrit uh, means impression, mm. from what I, I read. And so we can have these really deeply held impressions, typically around something that was um, traumatic, which I think the word trauma is like, I have like resistance around that word. Cause sure. It's, it's kind of like shaman. It's overused. It's one of those yeah, words that's used a lot. Like trauma, my trauma. And then we get attached to the story of our trauma so totally. we can create significance around that trauma my trauma is more traumatic than your trauma therefore I'm more lovable than you are um, you know but going back to the point um, we hold on to those impressions the ones that make us contract and twist and the time that I was I really wanted to cry but I just kind of sucked it up and I mm-hmm. contracted my abdomen and then I just you know buttoned my shirt back up and I straightened my pants out and I Hi, how are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold it down, baby. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's so every gonna... time you're you're doing that, uh, you are bottling up these totally. some scotters or these impressions, and eventually the the language that uh, that Singer uses in that that book was was that you're you're, you're blocking, almost thinking of it as like like spiritual plaque blocking your totally. your spiritual heart. It's what causes cardiovascular. It's system. metastasize. Yeah. You know, and so so through something, and we live presently live in a culture that doesn't know how to deal well with trauma, doesn't know how to deal well with death, doesn't know how to deal well with sexuality. Yeah. There's probably some other things. Those are primary, I think. Yeah. Um, and so within that, anytime we, all of those are physical. Yeah. You know, and so if you, someone goes into it and an experience of like, maybe they are kind of a little bit like shaky and they're kind of. Maybe they're like kind of like they're like losing their personality structure for a second, and they're kind of going into like more this mammalian shakeout reflex thing. Are what we want to do as modern people that haven't got any education around any of the the human experience beyond your ego? Mm. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Yeah, we've inhabited the ego like, just as we've imperfectly inhabited our bodies. Yeah. yeah. So our so what we want to do as soon as we can is is repair that person's ego structure. Mm-hmm. You know. So what we're potentially missing is this amazing opportunity where the person's opening up for a moment. Yeah. To heal some deeply held trauma that may have manifested itself when they were a fetus. It may have manifested itself when their you know mother was. 
abused by something, maybe before they even came about. Sure. You know, like the, the Dutch hunger winter, where the, you know, the, the, the people didn't have food while they were pregnant. Mm. Um, the kids ended up being really stingy with calories after that. Mm. You know, so how does that affect your perspective on the world? Well, it changes you at a deep cellular level, yeah. changes your metabolism. Metabolism and cells, that could have nothing to do with it, the way you think and perceive the world. There's no way there's any, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I, I would imagine that the traumas and belief systems and all of this, these stories that we're wrapped in, um, I would imagine they go much deeper than when you were one or called one. Yeah. Um, you know, but in our culture, long story short, we don't really get much education in that. And so when there's the, the, the teachers that we have have no education in the deeper human experience, when that potential lesson may come up, they're going to panic because yes. they've never gotten a lesson in that either. And then we just, we just close the book back up and we keep marching along. Totally. And, well, very well said. And, and, and it's their role to indoctrinate, even with the best of intentions, within a particularly codified worldview. And most of education, and I'm extremely grateful for my education, but our education system was based in 20th century industrial capitalism. You know, it's like first yeah. grade, second grade, third grade. So there's whole aspects. You know, I was taught algebra, but I wasn't taught the value of compound interest or like how to invest, you know, right. there's, so, there's whole aspects of like our curriculum that isn't really oriented towards how to be an alive human in the 21st century amidst the challenges that are unique to the 21st century, you know? Yeah. And I think what's beautiful is regardless of how you, uh, you know, move about the world, or I, I, I should say not regardless, but actually with special attention to how you move about the world, I think there's profound ability and access to educate yourself in new ways. Like that's one of the things that has been coming to me is like, there's actually such wisdom in the somatic experience yeah, that, I was, that, that I wasn't even fully aware of. And I've been doing different modalities and like fascial release and you and I have done a bit of work and it's human garage, a variety of different things I'm now experimenting with. And, also just having gotten hit by a car, like just moving my body in different ways. And like, it's, it's amazing what we take for granted, this gift of movement. And then when all of a sudden it's like limited to a degree, you're like, whoa, hang on. Like that would, I had, I had such a gift, you know, it's like when you get a cold and then all of a sudden you realize this profound, as the Buddha said, of all wealth, health is greatest and best, you know, yeah. this, this context. And what hit me actually, I was up in Ojai in the hot springs and I had this moment, I was in this, in this river. And for what I don't, you know, it's not going to sound that profound, but I just, I was looking at this particular point of the river that was stagnant and I just saw all these bugs and like, kind of like, and I'm sure in its own way, the ecosystem was rebalancing itself as e the earth does in this sort of equilibrium sense. But just as an, as a, as an experience of like being as I love to frolic in the water, the parts that were the best were the parts where there was movement. You know, the parts where there was movement in the water occurred to me as the healthiest. Where there totally. was stagnation in the water, it was kind of like gross and like weedy and like lots of bugs that looked kind of alien. And like, I was like, I don't want to go anywhere near that. And those simple, sometimes, you know, for me at least, I find center in going out into nature. And it was just a total reminder. It was like, trainer, move. Yeah. It was just like, in stagnation, there is disease. In movement, there is health. Yeah, yeah you want to go, like, think of, like, uh, 
you know, you've experienced around Native American folks and like smudging and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like when you're doing that, not just Native Americans use smoke, like all around the world, they like smoke cleanses the air, depending mm-hmm. on smoke. Um, you know, when you're smudging a room or a person or whatever, you get under their feet and you get the the bottom of the corners and the top of the corners, or you know, you know, if you're whatever you're in TP, maybe it won't be the corners, but you get under the couch and you know, blow out the closet. Like you want to get all the different parts of the place. Mm. You don't want to leave just this one spot of the room. Like, oh, we didn't really. Oh, that's fine. It's it's clean over there. Mm. It's like every day you go through and you want to make sure that you're blowing smoke into every little corner of that place. Mm. You know, and so if you can do that same perspective with your movement practice, um, you know. So 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 the way the the book is broken down is. So that your life essentially is like an act of blowing smoke on a more regular basis, you know. And so you're not in the sense of like you're saying bullshit, um, but that you're like you're activating all these different nooks and crannies of your body. And if you just allow yourself to be dust in the wind of the modern environment, um, then you will become a statistic. And the statistics of Western culture is not a statistic you want to be in. No. <laughs> there's some statistics that are pretty cool yeah like this one is not the one you want to be a part no. of no and that's not to say that you are doomed to that because you live in western culture like not at all we also have access to all the good shit yeah like LA or United States but then LA is kind of an epicenter of the United States uh, it's like a chakra of sorts it's like all the roads lead here um, it's it has a lot of terrible stuff but as the pendulum swings one direction, it also swings in the other direction. Yeah. We have access to freaking everything. Yeah. You know, and so within that, you can choose the light, you know, and go towards the direction of illuminating these different parts of yourself. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Aaron Alexander. Go pick up his book. It's called The Align Method. And he is the Align Podcast on social media. He puts out a ton of really informative content. He's a good friend of mine, but I also just super appreciate the way that he goes about presenting information that isn't commonly known. Um, If you enjoyed the podcast, please go ahead and give us a shout out. Hit up at Align Podcast, at Michael Trainer. Let us know what tips and tools uh, you're utilizing or if you're out there moving in the world. Uh, Maybe do a cool video and tag us. I'd love to share it. Um, Also, if you're loving the podcast, please go ahead and leave us a uh, five-star review. Uh, Your reviews mean the world to me. They help us move up in the algorithm. And we've been growing... um, so quickly and I'm so so grateful for all of you listening and for all the amazing feedback it means the world to me and I'm just committed to bring you the best uh, out there and to to continue to add value and as long as you keep listening I'll keep adding value so thank you guys so much please go out there and live your inspired life <laughs>